1 John chapter 5. I'll begin reading at verse 13. I'll read to verse 17. these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Heavenly Father, blessed to our understanding the reading and the exposition of your infallible and errant word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John writes these verses many years after the gospel that he wrote, and yet he keeps coming back to the same theme. If you remember the uh, theme of the Gospel of John is found in chapter 20 of the Gospel in verse 31 where the Holy Spirit moves John to write these things I have written in order that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing this you might have eternal life that is the same purpose statement that you essentially see here in verse 13. He is writing late in life this uh, short letter to Christians because many of them, after many years, after the resurrection of Jesus, were being uh, uh, assaulted with doubts and with false teachers who were telling them that Jesus uh, didn't really rise from the dead, that he was just the spirit that came upon uh, this person and then left him, left just before he went to the cross. And like all cults, and like all false teaching, strongly emphasized works, salvation. John, in opposing this cult that most uh, scholars think was related to a heretic named Serentius, a form, a very early form of the Gnostic her heresy, which is a word that John constantly uses in the right sense of the word, which means knowledge. John it is, uh, is adamant. This is how you have salvation. 
And it is by believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. False teachings, false religion, always goes to the same default setting because they are effective. Because what do they appeal to? They appeal to the flesh. They appeal to people's pride. Sometimes in manifest, overt ways that people seem want to in our culture today to parade about. But sometimes it's much more subtle than that. For example, I, I, with great trepidation, I use my wife as a sermon illustration. <laughs> Long before I met her, she was a college student at the University of Wisconsin in Stevens Point. Never did I know that while praying for a wife, it'd be a Yankee girl from Wisconsin. But that's who it was. And while she was a young uh, freshman at the University of Wisconsin, Stephen Point, she had gone there as a good little uh, Catholic girl, raised in parochial schools, left with a stutter from, from the torment of nuns in school. But uh, that's another story she can tell you. And she had the idea that was firmly fixed in her mind that she could be saved by being good. And then someone had the audacity to come while she's sitting in a cafeteria at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point and share her with her these verses in 1 John chapter 5. She began, began the lady began with verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Well, she knew that. She believed that. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. She had some sense of that through her Catholic confirmation class. But what she did not know was verse 13. And it was an absolute shock to her system. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. These things are written that you might know the certainty of salvation. John is underlining this truth to early believers who did not have what we have today. We, we have the full, complete Bible, Old and New Testament, the infallible, inerrant Word of God. God spoke to through, through uh, prophets. He spoke through apostles uh, to give us the very Word of God, everything that we need for life. And the capstone of, of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the last chapter tells us there's no more scripture to be written. It is full. It is complete. And in that fullness and toward the end of the whole book, John, who wrote the last part of the book, writes, these things are written, not just this epistle, not just his gospel, but the whole Bible that you who believe in him might know that you have eternal life. 
over against the false religions of this world, whether it was Serentius and his teaching in the first century, or whether it's uh, the, the uh, established state church of whatever generation that wants to keep people in, under religious bondage and control, the glorious truth is that you can know with certainty that God loves you. How do you know? By believing that God sent his son to die for you in your place for your sins. See, religion, man's religion demands that you do, do, do. Christianity, the gospel proclaims that God has done it all for you. I couldn't help but think of Martin Luther when recently we were able to visit Rome and seeing those magnificent steps on the Vatican and thinking about when Martin Luther was there in the 16th century, how he, um, they were building that incredible edifice. Pictures don't explain it. It's just hard to explain unless you've been, been there. But the only thing completed in Martin Luther's day were those magnificent steps up to where they built the, the, um, the uh, edifice of the Vatican on what was supposedly be the bones of Peter. Uh, I got to see those, by the way, if anybody wants to hear about it, let me know. And how Luther, like all the good Catholic priests of this day, and all the good Catholic priests of this day wanted to go on a pilgrimage there, and he went, and he was shocked. He was shocked at the debauchery all around him, and yet, like a good priest, according to legend, and we don't know it's true, but it is such a good story, I want it to be true. He did what pilgrims do, and he got on his hands and knees, and he began to crawl up those many stone steps on his hands and knees, saying the rosary all the way to the but according to Roland Bacon's biography, or his recording the story of that, he says he got halfway up, and the study of Romans that he had been conducting on his own, and the study of the prophet Habakkuk and, and the other places drawn from, the study of the Psalms, he kept ringing in his ears, the just shall live by faith. And he realized in that moment that salvation was not by works. That it was by grace alone through faith alone. And that the gospel is the only thing that can deliver people from the bondage of sin. And that's what John in his epistle is emphasizing. How do you know that you have eternal life? He said the same thing in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. You know, to as many as received him, to as many who have received Jesus, 
have been given the right to become sons of God. Many as believe in the name of the Son of God, those are the ones who have been given the right to be called children of God. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit of God at work in their hearts. Or except at the command of God in the last day. You will say one day, Jesus is Lord. This is what the book of Philippians tells us. Every, at, one, at one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And all the rebellion, all the prideful rebellion in the universe, in spiritual beings as well as human beings will be subdued because God will not have a rival. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you have confessed if you've cried out that you believe in the name of the Son of God, you can know today. You don't have to wait another moment. You don't have to wait till the end of the sermon. You can right now put your faith and trust in Him. And what happens as a result of that? You have confidence. This is the confidence that we have. The confidence that our prayers are answered. It's, prayer is, is absolutely essential to the Christian life. It, it's how your, your life begins in Christ. It, it begins with the heart cry of trust in Jesus. And that confidence gives us more confidence. If he has done the greatest thing, the greatest thing for you that could ever possibly be done, what is the greatest thing that could ever possibly happen in your life? Now you may be dreaming of of some career path or dreaming of, of uh, a marriage or you may be dreaming of, of uh, some, some special trip or there's all kinds of things that we, we, we and by, in and of themselves these things might be wonderful things but none of them compare to the greatest thing of all and that is to be with the Lord forever And if he has answered that prayer, the, the, the argument is from the greater to the lesser here. If he's done the greatest thing for you in your salvation, then he will care, he will care about everything else. This is what gives us confidence. Confidence. Confidence is uh, something that is absolutely essential to accomplish anything in life. That's why, that's why I can never be a musician. I, can, I have no confidence in, in my musical ability whatsoever. I marvel at people who have that confidence. Or that's the same is true in athletics. The same is true in academics. 
and and the same the, so the same general truths across the board whatever discipline it is whatever whatever uh, work you have whether you're a, a skilled tradesman or whether you're an academic what it takes practice you only achieve that level of confidence through practice the gospel is all the ones who are saved by grace through faith and the, the result of, of that God has dealt with the greatest our greatest problem what what's our biggest problem our biggest problem is there are lost sinners we're on the way to hell well when Jesus died for us and we put our faith and trust in, in, in him that problem was solved but our Heavenly Father wants us to constantly, in the same way we come to Him for our salvation, He wants us to come to Him for everything. How do we get confident in our faith? How do we get to the place where our faith is not shaken constantly and how we're not constantly distracted and how we're not constantly turning away from the Lord? And the answer is the same way we began, by asking him. Our confession, our, our catechisms take the, the uh, question, what, what is prayer from these verses? What is prayer? It's an offering up of ourselves for things agreeable to God with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies for things that are agreeable to his will we have a loving father who desires us to come to him to ask of him to give us good gifts And he is so loving, he is not going to turn us away. This confidence of coming to Christ based on what he has done for us and coming to the Father through Jesus Christ and his death for us gives us confidence in that whatever we ask, he hears us. There's nothing that will grow your confidence as a, uh, as a believer more than than seeing your prayers answered. <clears throat> and sometimes that doesn't come all at once. The truth is, we're taught by Jesus that we're to be important. We're, we're just to keep praying, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking in prayer. We're never to give up in praying for things that are agreeable to his will. But there's an implication here that these prayers are not just prayers offered up individually, but there are prayers that are offered up corporately. That's why Jay and I seek, by God's grace, when we lead in prayer, to lead in prayer for things that, that are on the minds and hearts of us all. One of the best kept secrets in this church is our prayer meeting that meets on Wednesday night. It's, there's a few of us that come in person. There's a few of us that zoom in. But 
and Captain House used to be uh, our chronicler. He would write down everything that would happen in the year end. We would review that, and it was uh, it was truly, um, it is truly amazing week by week to see the dramatic answers to prayer, and especially as we look back. Here we are given a hint of one of the things that we often pray about in that prayer meeting that we ought to be praying about all the time, and that is public prayer. In our public prayer, in our private prayer, in our family prayers, the salvation of the lost. Those who are sinning, he defines, defines those who are sinning a sin that leads to death. And he, he even implies that uh, there, there are sins that don't lead to death. Those are, those are things that we ought to pray about and people we should pray for. How do we pray? Our, 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 we pray every Sunday this model prayer, and I hope you don't just skip over that. There's a reason we pray the Lord. Why do you pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday? Jesus commanded us to pray he said, when you pray, no, he said in Southern, he's, let me translate in Southern. When you all pray, when y'all pray, pray like this. And notice it's not my father, it's our father in heaven. Corporate worship in prayer, hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy. The object of prayer is the glory of God. And the, uh, his exaltation. And yet, he is made holy. He is exalted by keeping us from temptation. By delivering us from the evil one. By forgiving us our trespasses like we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you pray like this? This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Do you pray together in, in, your, in, your, in your family like this? Do you, do you pray by yourself like this? Do you pray like this in church, do we pray like this in church? Because the promise is when we do, based on our relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus, we can have confidence. We have this confidence that transforms our life. It gives us assurance and it gives us more faith. Again, the basis of it is praying according to the will of God. If you go through the life of the of the of the saints in the Bible, you see this over and over. How they how they went to their father. They had how they wrestled in prayer. Uh, when we, we were right recently was right by the Jabuk in Jordan. I couldn't help but think of Jacob going up north to cross that little river, it's not a very big river, cross that little river to meet Esau, who he just knew was going to kill him. 
And he had his instinct. He was going to die at the hands of Esau. And what is he going to do? He's going to pray and he's going to wrestle in prayer all night long. And he will not let go of the angel of the Lord, who many believe to be a pre-incarnate picture of Christ, until he gets assurance. This is how we're to lay hold of God. Now, someone like Samson, Samson is the worst person to model your spiritual life after you could possibly think of. He messed everything up so bad, it's just amazing. He's in the book of Judges for a reason, to show you how not to live until the end. And then you can be like Samson when his eyes are put out, when he's been beaten down, and he lifts up his heart to God and says, Oh, Lord, give me strength. destroy your enemies he put his hands on the pillars of that temple and he cries out to God and God hears his prayers and the enemies of God's people are defeated all at once nor Hannah in her humiliation without a child staying in the tent of meeting day and night crying out for God until he gave Samuel And on and on and on again. Such is the power of prevailing prayer. In situations that may be hopeless, conditions that may be terrible, in places of despair, when we learn to lay hold of God, the circumstances change. And such prayers are so desperately needed today. So many families, so many places in our nation and throughout the world. But then he talks about a specific kind of prayer, and I'm back to this. If we see verse 11, or verse 18, verse 16 rather, if we see anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God shall give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. We have friends, we have family members, we have people in our lives, we have co-workers, we have fellow students. I don't know what your situation is like. You have, you have people, if you're a child of God, you have people in your life who are lost. So how do you pray for them? Well, this, it, this tells us. This is how you pray. You ask God. You may, it, may be, um, it may be a fellow church member. You may have a fellow church member. It's really interesting. He doesn't, he doesn't refer us back to Matthew 18 here. Usually when we have a fellow church member, we go to Matthew 18, we go to him private. No, don't do that first. Do this first. Go to God first. Uh, before that, you might want to do what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and get the log out of your own eye. Matthew 7, verse 5, get the log out of your own eye. So you can see clearly. Then go to God in prayer. 
then if that, that fails, go to them personally. If you see a sin not leading to death, do that. Pray for it. Pray about it. And it's, there's a sad note here. Sometimes he doesn't say you have to just keep praying if the thing is hopeless. You can, but you don't have to. God told Jeremiah to stop praying for Israel. What a fearsome thing. They're going to be overrun. You stop praying. I don't want to bother you. We don't have direct revelation like Jeremiah did. If you read about that, it's in chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 14 of Jeremiah. Jesus told the disciples, if you go to a city and you, you, you come with the good news of the gospel and that city doesn't want you, then don't hang around. Don't, you can't, we can't force the gospel upon anyone. in the business of restoring the lost. Reclaiming the lost sheep. All wrongdoing is sin and the whole um, and there, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And to everyone, first to ourselves and then to everyone else who's involved in sinning, we'd remind, be reminded of the good news that Jesus loves sinners. Our Lord Jesus was so plain to sinners of all kinds. He met, he met sinners of all kinds. But the most hardened sinners he met were religious sinners. Do you realize that? His most fervent enemies were religious people who knew the Bible better than we do. The, the Pharisees and the scribes who ignored the plain evidence of the Bible that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was so plain to them. He said, unless you believe that I am the one from above, that I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah, you will die in your sins. That is the message of the gospel. It is a message that the world sees as foolish and ridiculous. Those who believe know it's the, it is the gift of eternal life, nothing less. What do you believe about Jesus today? Have you put your faith and trust in him? If you have not, I urge you to do so now. And know the love and forgiveness and the righteousness that comes from him alone. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is so plain. So often our understanding of it is clouded by our own self-righteousness and our own sin revealed reveal our simple hearts 
through it. And at the same time, fill us with joy, unspeakable, for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. If anyone is here who's yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus, enable them by your grace, even now, to believe upon him, to call upon him, forgive them, and give them eternal life. And we pray for this in Jesus' name.